Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. Today is a, it's a big service. It's a significant service. It is big in the sense that I believe that the coming of Jesus, the birth, death, uh, and, and the burial of Jesus and His resurrection is the greatest and most event, incredible event that we have had in human history. And I, and I believe that I am not overshooting this in any way. It's not, we don't, it's not just something that we say every week, but we do say it this week. It's important because, you know, in life, some things will come and some things will go. Like hot cross buns. Yeah, I know. Guys, I'm just as disappointed about it. And don't anyone come to me after the service and say, you can have a fruit bun. It's the same. It's not. You're a liar. And so it's not the same. It's different. I don't know what they do with it, but I'm telling you, it's not the same thing. So hot cross buns will come and they will go. Things in our lives, they will come and they will go. And a lot of them don't really matter. But I can tell you this, that in a billion, billion, billion years, What Jesus did is still going to matter and it's going to have a lot to do with where we are. And that's why it matters so much. It really does. It matters so much. And I think that there is this sense inside all of us. There is something beyond this world. And a lot of people spend their time, their lives trying to figure out what it is. If if you're here today and you are a Christian, you would say, you know what that is. And you would say, you know what that's about. But there's a lot of people that are trying to figure out. We've got questions in our heart. I believe people have existential questions, you know, like, why am I here? What am I made for? What's my purpose? What's the purpose of life? I think that those things are in there for a reason. And so today I want to begin with a scripture. It's out of Ecclesiastes 3.11. You could find that in the Old Testament. We got it on the screen for you if you don't know where to find that, if you don't have a Bible. And I'm going to read. It says, He, being God, has put eternity. The word eternity in the Hebrew language is olam, and it means forever and ever. Yeah. How cool is that? That God has put forever and ever inside the heart of man, mankind. It's like there's this sense, you know, we know that there's so much more than just this life. It says, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. We can't figure out everything that God has done. And is it just me? I don't don't know everything that God has done. Maybe you do, but I, I don't. I can't figure out everything that He's done. All I know is what He has revealed to us. And part of what He's revealed is that this life that we live, this is not the end. You know, when we die, there is something that is after this, I think about eternity, man, I, it makes my brain hurt. You know, like if I just said a billion, billion years, even thinking about that is, is difficult to imagine. But I'm telling you that what we're talking about today, when I just say the word eternity, it's beyond that. It's past that. And, and it's hard to imagine. It's hard to, to understand. Honestly, I don't even know what I'm doing for lunch today. I, we have no plans. Sweet. We have no plans. I don't know what we're doing for lunch today. I don't know. I hope we, did we do shopping yesterday because the shops are closed today? Okay, so we're going to have lunch, but I don't know what it is. Okay, so we've got food in our house, right? So I can't even figure out what we're doing for lunchtime. Try to imagine, say, 10 years in the future, what my, my life is going to look like. I, I don't know. 
Like so many things could change in the next 10 years. So when I try to think about a billion, billion, billion years, it, it, honestly, I can't. It's like trying to think about the edge of space or maybe what's beyond space. It's so difficult to do. And I, I think the reason is, is that we have been born into a dimension that is controlled by time. Even when we try to think of the beginning, we go back to the start. And what are we thinking? We're thinking time. But the God that we serve, the God that we worship, this Jesus that we talk about, He existed outside of time and space. More than that, He created time and space. And that's like another thing altogether. And I think that in each one of us, as I say, there is this overwhelming sense that there is things beyond this world. God put that in us so that one day when you or I would ask that existential question, what is the point of all of this? Why are we here and what happens after this? It was there to provoke some kind of thought so that we could be led and ask the right questions so that we could find the right answers. Man, God has put that in us and that we don't know everything. All we know is what the Bible reveals to us. And if you're new to church, you don't know, we actually believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. So it speaks to us. This is God's revelation of who He is. Now, it doesn't tell us everything about everything, but it reveals what God wants us to know about who He is. It reveals what He wants us to know. So it explains it in part. And at the very beginning of this book, it says something important. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Maybe you just skip that by. You've heard it a thousand times and you don't really think about it. I like to think about it. I, I, you know, reading the Bible and just thinking about it is one of the best ways that you can grow spiritually. And so I read it, I think about it. And honestly, this is, where my, this is how I think, guys. This is where my brain goes. I go, well, if He created the heavens, where was God before that? Like, I'm thinking, where did He live? You know? Like, where, so what was around Him? Like, I don't know. So he created the heavens and he created the earth. What was there before him? It was just him in the middle of what? Nothing? I don't know. Like I just, maybe it's just me, okay? But I like to think about it. So in the beginning, he created the heavens and he created the earth and everything that we know, everything that we can see was made by him. This tells us that God pre-existed all things. And what do we know about God? Well, we know a couple of things, that there is one God in three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and we call that the Trinity. One God, three parts. We would never make this up. We don't even like explaining it. Like this is what God revealed about who He is to us. And so many times, you know, like every time, don't you, don't you think like that sometimes? It's like, oh, well, if I can't understand it, that couldn't possibly be true. That's what happens when we try to explain God. But I'm telling you, there are things that we just don't know and things that we accept because He's revealed it to us. And in chapter 1, verse 26 of Genesis, He said to who? Himself. Why? One God, three parts. Let us make man in our image. Did you know that you've been created in the image of God? You are created in the image of God. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit. What an incredible honor it is to be created in the image of God. I know you've probably just taken this for granted. We just see these human beings everywhere and we forget how significant it is. 
You know, we are the pinnacle of God's creation above all other things. You do not see dogs with existential questions. They're not made in the image of God. They're not saying, why was I here and what have I created for? Like, dogs don't think like that. Cats don't think like that. Cats are planning a demise because they're evil, okay? So just, guys, this is a straight up biblical sermon, all right? It's, it's, if you're looking for it in the scriptures, look under Ecclesians, you'll find it there. It's not a book. Some of you are like, oh, I haven't seen that book before. It's not a book. Some of you didn't know. You didn't know. It's not a book. It's a made up book. All right, I should move on. But the point is cats are evil. All right. So they're not asking those questions. They're not asking it. Human beings are the ones that have got the questions. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. You are Imago Dei. You're an image bearer of God. So when God created the first people, He created Adam and Eve, and you already know the story. Most of you would. He created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. And the idea initially, at least initially, was that Adam and Eve would live and they would have children, be fruitful and multiply, and that they would live forever. That there would be no death, that there would be no decay, that that would be how things are. And so he makes Adam and Eve and, well, chapter one, he sort of makes them at the end of chapter one. And then they kind of made it through chapter two. And they really stuffed it up by chapter three. So I, like it didn't take long. I don't know how long it was. I, I, it didn't take long. But if you know the story, what happened? God put them in the garden. He said, you can eat from any tree in this whole garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just one thing that they weren't supposed to do. You think about what we're not supposed to do these days. It's a lot of things, right? They had one thing. And you know the story. Here's Eve hanging around. The, the tree. Look, that's a bad idea, okay? First of all, I'm telling you, if you are hanging around places where you're not supposed to go, just put that little border in there, put that boundary and take a big step back. She's hanging around. That, that was mistake number one. What's mistake number two? She was in a conversation with Satan. Yeah, now that's a really, really good point, all right? Should you find yourself in a conversation with Satan, just take a big step back. Just as you're not supposed to be. Don't hang around places you're not supposed to go. Don't talk to Satan. He's got nothing to say. So anyway, she's listening to Satan. Big mistake. He said, oh no, you, that's fine. You can eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can, you can eat that fruit. God knows that when you eat it, you'll be like him. She's like, oh, so then she looks at the fruit again. She's like, maybe he's right, right? Every time you think the devil is right, you are wrong. So she takes the fruit. She eats the fruit and she gives some to her husband. He eats the fruit. And then what do we call? that we call that sin now if you don't come to church very often and you're like what is sin well sin can be a lot of things I, 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 let me do this I'm going to put sin in two categories for you today number one is the sin of commission that's what most people think it is it's when you do something wrong it's in a whole nother category it's when you don't do the things that are right so you've been designed and created there is purpose and intention on your life and when we live outside of our intended purpose and let's be honest, if every one of us were going to be just straight up today, we'd say, yeah, there have been times in my life where I stepped outside of what God's plan was for my life. There have been some good things that I know I was supposed to do and I just didn't do them. Yeah. And so we make light of sin, but the whole point of Good Friday is that God made serious of sin. So don't take light what He made serious. And so here they are and they've sinned against God, but God had a plan because even though his intention was that they would be perfect and live forever, well, he knew better. 
And so there is a penalty attached to that problem called sin. And the penalty is death. He says, the day you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And so here they come and they, they eat the fruit. It wasn't, just, it wasn't just that it would affect them. It's that it would flow on into humanity. It's actually a curse. Death is a curse. And so here they are and they, they eat the fruit. And, and, and what happens? Well, now they know they're going to die. Now let's, come on, let's bring this in together today. Every single one of us know that at some point we're going to die, right? One of two things is going to happen. You're going to die. Jesus is going to come back. I'm hoping for Jesus. But, uh, but should things go the way that they've gone forever so far, uh, then we're going to die. And I'm not, so, I'm not so afraid of the first death because I put my faith in Jesus. And because he's forgiven me for my sin, that means I walk through the door of death and on into eternal life. But that doesn't happen to everyone. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about a second death four times in the book of Revelation because some people will go through the gateway of death to eternal life and some people will go to eternal punishment. And I'm sorry if that offends you. It's just so black and white. And that's why this is so serious. I'm the, how can we make light of what God made so serious? If it wasn't this serious, He would never have sent His Son. And so we look at this and we think, well, this, this matters. But the, here's the thing. I don't want to get too caught up on on. on, on this stuff because I, I want you to get the main point of today, which is that God loves people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's, that's the big focus here is that God loves people. And he, he lo if you don't know this today, God loves you. Even if you have no relationship with Him, God loves you. Even if you're in, in your life, you look back and you reflect on where you're at with God right now, God loves you. He lo you know what? We only love Him because He first, what? Loved us. So our love to Him is a response of Him first loving us. You can read uh, Romans chapter 5 and it says that He came for us when we were sinners. So even when we made mistakes, He came for us. You know, God has a history of doing this. He comes for us and He came for them. He came for Adam and He came for Eve. And if you read the story, He said, well, hey, someone's going to have to pay the penalty here. How, who, whose blood will be spilt? Now, God didn't want to you know, take the life of Adam and Eve, even though they, it, they brought that curse upon themselves. So he's like, I'm going to cover this. The scriptures say in the book of Genesis that they were naked and ashamed. You know, so when we see in the scriptures that they were naked, oftentimes in the book of Genesis, it refers to that being shame. So they were just aware of their shame. And God had a plan. He had a big plan. And the, the, the first thing that he did is he said, I'm going to cover your shame. Now, this part is not meant to be tricky and I'm not trying to uh, confuse you or anything. What do we know? We know that God went and he got animal skins. Now, where did he get the skins from? Yes, he got them from an animal. I really felt like more people were going to jump in there because it's such an obvious question he got the animal skins from an animal which means he must have had to kill that thing in order to get that skin so what he did is take a substitute sacrifice in the place of their punishment and he used that to cover their nakedness and their shame isn't that cool and he's still doing it He's still doing it today. And so here he is, and he's explaining the, the impact of sin, what they've done. And then he turns to the devil, and he says this in Genesis 3.15. He says, I will put enmity, which means hostility, between you and the woman. That's Eve. Between your offspring and her offspring. That's Jesus. It says, Jesus will bruise your head 
and you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. Jesus is going to have the ultimate victory, but it's going to come at a cost. He's going to bruise what? The devil's head. He's going to, he's going to take him. He's going to take him out. He's going to ultimately have victory, but the devil will strike his heel. There's a price to pay for the victory that he would have. And when we read this scripture, this is actually something called Proto-Evangelium. It's Latin for first gospel. It's the first time the gospel is mentioned. It's the first time we see that there is a plan for how to permanently remove the problem of eternal punishment and death and sin. And this is where we first see it. This is the first sign that we see that at one time, at some point, somewhere in the distant future, Jesus is going to come. He will set things right. But now we face the gap between that moment with Adam and Eve and the later future time that they didn't know about when Jesus would come. And what would fill that space in the middle? Well, pretty much the Old Testament. The word testament means covenant. It means agreement. It's like an agreement, but far more significant. And so if we read the Old Testament, what we see is that God made agreements and agreements, covenants and covenants and covenants with His people. Problem is when you break a covenant, you can't just patch it up. You, you can't fix it. You've got to create a new one. So He continued to make covenants and covenants. And we have got this history of thinking that we can get close to God based on how good we are. In fact, you ask anybody that is not a Christian and doesn't know a thing about what the gospel says or what Christian people believe, you say, how do you get close to God? They'll say, you got to be pretty good. How good? No one knows. Their best guess is as long as the good things outweigh the bad things, you'll probably be okay. But imagine going to your death hoping, hope I've done enough. It's not a good place to be, but that's not how Christianity works at all. So they said, we can do this, God, let us try. And he said, all right, well, how about we do this? I'll give you 613 commandments. And guys, it's not closest to the pin, all right? So if you break one, it's like you broke them all. And you know, from the time of Adam and Eve, all the way up until the time of Jesus, all people did was just fail and fail and fail. God must have been watching this thing just over and over and over again. Now I tell you the truth, right? Like you can do, you can go onto YouTube and look up Fail Army, best thing that you'll do today, right? I love watching people hurt themselves, okay? So I, I know that's weird and please don't judge me, right? But it's, it's great. So, so, but you know what I realized is that we, humanity, we were the Fail Army. Why? Because we, all of us, we just kept on messing it up. And it didn't matter who tried. Everyone kept on messing it up. No one could do it. We failed over again until Romans says in the New Testament, you can read the book of Romans, it says at the right time, at the right time, at the right time. Man, I, I just, I would love to know when God's right time is. None of us know. Why then? Why at that moment? I don't know. I told you. We don't know everything from beginning to end. We don't know all the things that God is doing. We just know that He knows what He's doing. And it says that at the right time, Jesus came. At the right time, Jesus came. Here's what John said about it. He said that God became human. Well, that means flesh. God became human and He dwelt amongst us. It's kind of a hard thing to imagine. Isn't it? Isn't it hard to imagine that God, the eternal God, creator of heaven and earth, that he would become what? Human? Are you, are you joking me? 
Paul the Apostle, he says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was God in form, that means he was the essence of God. So one of the things we need to understand is that Jesus, even though he came from heaven, the pre-existent, immortal, eternal God, when he came from heaven to earth, he never ceased to be God. He was all, always God. He was the same essence as God. He said he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He wasn't clutching at it or trying to hold on to it. He was always God. He was God and he was able to release the appearance of his deity anytime he wanted. Imagine that level of control. You know, he did it once. You know what we call it? The transfiguration. If you look in your Bibles, there's this moment where Jesus transfigures in front of Peter. And it's like he just peeled back the veil and said, this is who I really am. I've been this person. And it blew Peter's mind. So he can obviously reveal who he is at any point, which kind of makes you wonder, why didn't he do that more? He could have avoided a lot of trouble if he had have done that more regularly. Verse seven, it says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He looked like he was a human being while still being God and born in the likeness of men. What I think is so crazy about this story, the good news, the gospel, is that the immortal God would become a mortal man. And the question is why? Because in heaven, he has everything. In heaven, he does act as God. He is God. Everything works in heaven the way it's supposed to. In his God-like state, he cannot be touched. He cannot be harmed. He cannot be hurt. See, to take yourself and, and make yourself from being that eternal God and to give yourself a human form, you make yourself vulnerable. You could be touched. You could be hurt. You can be maimed. And he does it. And the question has got to be, why would anyone who is so safe take such an incredible risk? And I think, Probably the most famous scripture in the Bible, John 3, 16, is the one that tells us everything. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by Him. If you don't know anything about God, if you don't know anything about Christianity, the whole point of celebrating Good Friday and talking about Jesus coming from heaven to earth is because He was here to save everyone. And why would He do that? It's so simple. Are you ready? You are totally, completely and utterly loved by God. That's it. And today, even if you say, well, I've been so far from God, that's cool. You're loved by God. Well, I don't have things right in my life. That's okay. I, I know. You're still loved by God because His love for you doesn't depend on how good you are to Him. It all emanates from Him. The Bible says that He is love. Not, not that He knows how to love. If we said He knows how to love, it would be outside of Him, but He is love. You only know how to love because you got that from Him. And He directs all of His love straight towards you. And in human history, 
people tried again and again to earn their way towards Him and no one could do it. 613 commandments, no one could do it. So God said, since you can't do it, I'll do it for you. I will come from heaven to earth. I will become as one of you to represent you. And in that way, not only did He fulfill everything as God, He fulfilled everything as human. He came not only to fulfill the law, and not break any one of those 613 commandments. He came to break the curse of sin. He came to make sure that there wouldn't be eternal death, that one day people could go on to eternal life. And in 30 years after He was born, He built a great relationship with His heavenly Father. And then He moved straight into His ministry. And man, was He popular. Come on, think about it. Why wouldn't he be? You remember the first miracle he did? How far you think that thing went? Oh, you don't know? Well, how about this? He turned water into wine. Hello. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> oh, you don't think he was popular because of that? Don't look at me so holy. People were probably, he was probably going to them and say, I'd like to tell you about the kingdom. They're like, yeah, cool, cool, but do the wine thing first. <laughs> tell you what, you do the wine thing, I'll stick around for the kingdom thing. Like just say, uh, I've got some, here's my water bottle, bless it. Let's see what happens. You know, like, come on. It wasn't just the wine thing. That was a, that was a crack and start, by the way, but it wasn't just the wine thing. What did he do? Oh, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. They've never seen authority like this. He gained popularity, so much popularity. And so, so you know, the week before Jesus died, here he is coming into town. You know, the Sunday before, the Sunday that he rose again is called Palm Sunday. And on that day, they're, they're laying down palm leaves and, and they're, they're spreading them out everywhere. Why? Well, this is Jesus. Haven't you heard? The water to wine guy. Like this is a guy that casts out demons. This is a guy, he's raised somebody from the dead. So they're laying down palms and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save us. They're saying, this is the guy. Here he is, save us. Funny how people can be fickle. The same crowd that was saying, save us, were saying by Friday, crucify Him, crucify Him. We don't want Him. They rejected Him. Don't reject the one that loves you more than you could possibly imagine. You know, today people still reject Him. And everything He's done, His love is on display. It's, it's, it's our history. I mean, I can at least understand for some of these people, they didn't know. Maybe they were confused. Maybe they were misled by the people of their day. But we should know better because it's our history. We know how much... God loves us. He, you know, he spent his whole week teaching his disciples. I probably wouldn't have done that. I would have, I would have got out of there. I'm, no way. Why am I sticking around for this? Why am I sticking around for people that are going to hate me? People that are going to persecute me? And yet Jesus, he just seems to stay there. And then it was the night before he was betrayed. And he's having a meal with his disciples. He could have been a thousand miles from that spot. But here he is in this place where he knew they would find him. And it's not like he didn't know what was going to happen. You know, if you, if you read the book of Isaiah, there are, there are parts where it describes what was going to happen. Do you know what it says that Jesus would be so, so marred, so, so beaten that he wouldn't have the semblance of a man. Like you could barely recognize that he was human. You don't think he knew that? He must have read that 
knowing that that thing, that prophecy was going to happen. It was going to unfold. Hence the reason why he's in, in the garden sweating drops of blood. They say it's possible to be so stressed at your capillaries that they burst and you sweat drops of blood. Here he is so stressed because he knows what awaits him. He could have been anywhere and he waited where they would find him. This is the part that I kind of blows my mind because we, we know what he was praying in that moment. Matthew 26, 39, he says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God, is there any other way that we can accomplish this? Is there any other way we can do it? I mean, if there's another way, come on, let's find it together. We'll work together. You show me how we can save everybody and me not go through this. There's no, no other way. This was the purpose for which he came. This is what his entire human life had been building towards. And then they came, and if you know the story, if you've ever felt betrayed, imagine Jesus. Spent three years with this guy called Judas. No one, no one names their kids Judas, do they? No, no they don't. No one wants to be named Judas. Why? Oh, the great betrayer. Have you ever felt betrayed in life? You think God doesn't know how you feel? He's betrayed by one of his friends. Judas betrayed his master. He betrayed the Messiah for what, 30 pieces of silver? Are you kidding me? Like his life, any life would be worth that much, let alone the Messiah. And here he is in the garden and the soldiers come and they arrest him and they, they take him away. And they said, we got to take care of this Jesus guy right now. So they hold a trial and the Sanhedrin, which is the religious board, they come together and, you know, to hold that trial and convene it, convene it at nighttime meant that they had to break 14 of their own laws just to be able to do it. And they were so desperate to kill him and destroy him that they decided we're going to break our own laws. Let's do it. We've got momentum. We're going to destroy him right now. And what happened? They brought in people and they lied about him. They spat on him. They mocked him. And, and all of this time, he could have just said, oh, this is not me. I, I, I didn't do this. Or, or maybe what he could have done is just channel a little bit of that God power that we know he so clearly had as he displayed in the transfiguration. He was always God. And so here he is at this trial and people are lying about him. They couldn't even get their story straight. They brought in people to lie about him, but they kept on everyone's story kind of ruined the other person's story. And they said, we, we, don't, we don't have him. What are we going to do with this guy? And the high priest says, well, I'm going to ask him a question. And it's called the oath of testimony. It's not labeled like that in your Bible, but it's this question. And he says, tell us, are you the Christ? And at that point, Jesus could have said no and walked out and there would be nothing that they could do because as much as they tried to pin things on him, they just couldn't make it stick. So right then, Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. He knew it would be, be marred beyond semblance, that he wouldn't even be recognizable. And yet at that point, he could have said, nope. He could have walked out scot-free, but he didn't. He stays there. He stays in that place and he says, are you the Christ? And he says, I am what he said, I am. He's referencing God when he spoke to Moses with the burning bush. He said, I am. That's just, don't try to figure me out. I just am. When were you born? I wasn't. I just am. Tell me about eternity. Just listen. I just am. You won't figure out any, you're not going to understand all of this. Just know that I am. Jesus says, I am. They say blasphemy. At that point, Jesus' fate was sealed and he could have got out of it and he didn't. 
And the question like, God, why would you do this? It's the same reason He came from heaven to earth. Why? Because you are loved by God. And here He is. He comes before Pilate. And He says, are you the King of the Jews? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. See, He was a king. He's the servant king. He's the eternal king. And He said, my kingdom is not of this world. See, I'm telling you, there's something after this life. There's something outside of this space. This is not just material stuff that we touch and feel. There's a spiritual space that's beyond the dimension that we live in. My kingdom is not of this world. And you know the rest of the story. They bring out Barabbas and they say, no, no, no. We'll take Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. And what do they do? They send him off and he's whipped. He wears a crown of thorns to humiliate him. And, uh, you know, thorns in Palestine, they are the stuff of legend. Huge, big thorns would have gone deep into his skull. They put him in a purple robe, and they made, which is the color of royalty. They're like, go on, be a king. They're just, what are they doing? They're making fun of him. They made him carry his cross. and He's carrying his cross. And I read the story, and it says that he, that, he, that he buckles under the weight of the cross. Don't you find that interesting since he's God? Like he could have done anything. He could have, without any of us knowing it, just channeled a little bit of that God power and carried that cross, no problems. The fact that he fell and it landed on him and he needed someone to help him tells me that he didn't channel anything. He said, I will do this completely as a human. How's he gonna represent us if he's not acting like one of us? He could have literally floated that thing in the air all the way to Golgotha and said, where do you want it? Just here, here, back there, no problem. Boom, right? Did he do it? No. He carries it all the way, or as far, at least as far as he could. And he gets there and then, you know, what happens? They, they nail him to the cross, nails through his hands, one nail through his feet, and they lift him up. And the cross was not just the most painful death, it was the most shameful death. You know, if you've ever walked into a church and you've seen like a statue of Jesus on the cross, They do this thing where they put like a little loincloth over him just to kind of give him some privacy. It's not real. It's not how they did it. The whole point was to humiliate him. So there he is, the eternal king who became mortal man and made himself so vulnerable. And at the end of his life, here he is being hung on a cross, dying the most painful and shameful death that was imaginable. And I'm thinking, why didn't you get out of it? You could have done it. He, he could have done miracles. All he had to do was transfigure in that moment. They would have said, we've made a mistake. Take him down. He doesn't do any of it. Why? Because he knew that a price had to be paid for the penalty of sin, for the joy that was set before him. Yeah, he despised the cross, but he saw something beyond it. He saw through the cross. He saw that there would be people like you and me today could say thank you Jesus for what you did because you did it I don't have to do it and I think about this Jesus gave us eternal life at the cost of his own we got it because he gave it to us his dying words are literally father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing He's done nothing wrong and He's paying the price for all of our mistakes, our sin, our shame, our guilt. And we couldn't, we couldn't live up to God's standards. So you know what He did? He said, tell you what, 
I will come and be as one of you to represent you. And that way I can still be just and I can still be righteous. The price for sin will be paid and I will have done it all for you. And you didn't have to do a thing. And I will simply give it to you as a gift. And that's why we say salvation is a gift. You can't add anything to it. There's nothing you can do to add to it. You didn't, you didn't put any good works towards it. it. He literally just gifts it to you and says, this was what I earned and I give it freely to you. He died in our place. You know what the Scriptures say? They say that He is our propitiation. That means that He is the sacrifice that turned what would have been God's wrath into blessing and favour on our life because the axe was there. It was coming down and before that wrath hit us, he changed it into favour and blessing. And oh, come on, that's worth it. Come on, give God some praise, amen. And now we get it. We get to walk in it. We get to live in it. Because once the penalty has been paid, it doesn't have to be paid again. I feel like so many people know this in their hearts. Why? Well, because we have this sense of eternity. We have existential questions. Why am I here? What was I created for? What happens? What's life after death? Animals don't think, they don't think that. We think that. We're created in the image of God. We think differently. We're the pinnacle of His creation. And He put that stuff in us so that at the right time, like Good Friday, we would ask these questions so that Good Friday could be the answer to the deepest needs, the, the deepest questions that we have. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, that He has made everything beautiful in its time. Everything. Hmm. I bet on Good Friday, while the disciples were looking at Jesus, their Messiah, and as He hang on the cross, the last thing any of them would have said is that this is a beautiful moment. They would have said, this is the greatest tragedy that's ever happened. They were, they were looking at it. But sometimes you just got to give God a little bit of time. Sometimes things don't look beautiful in the moment, but if you give it to God, do you know how many times I've seen people take the tragedy of their lives and place it in God's hands and you watch what He does with it? Because if you just wait, like the disciples had to, they just waited three days and He took what was tragedy and turned it into triumph. Because Jesus wouldn't stay in the grave. He wouldn't be dead. He would be resurrected to life. And that, that is the most important thing. You know, as Christian people, our faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes things happen in our lives. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We can't figure, figure out the end from the beginning. But I tell you something right now. If we take the mistakes of our lives and we place it in His hands, what once never looked beautiful, God can turn it into something beautiful. He can do something with your life. The most important thing is to take what you have and turn it over to Him. He's not going to make it beautiful if you hold on to it. But if you hand your life to Him and just wait and see what He does. That's what Good Friday is all about. Just handing our lives over to the one who won it all, who gave it all. Can I pray for you today? Father God, I just thank you for every single person that's in this place right now. Lord, we think about Good Friday. We don't know everything that you're doing, God, but we know everything that you've done because it's our history. God, I thank You today on Good Friday 
We celebrate it as something beautiful because we already know the end. We've seen the movie. We've seen what happens in the end. We know you resurrect. And God, I thank you so much that you would come and go through all of that. Yeah, it worked out in the end. That's great. But you had to go through all of that pain just so we could have eternal life. And God, I thank you that you've given that eternal life as a gift, nothing that we can earn, just something that you gave to us. But God, even today, there are people that don't have that gift. They haven't asked for it. They, maybe they didn't realize it was on offer. But God, because of what you've done this day, we know that people, anyone, whoever should believe in you will not perish, but have eternal life. And God, I pray that today, anyone who hears these words, that Lord, they wouldn't harden their heart like people did in the day and reject Jesus until He died. I pray that God, we don't do that. We don't reject you, that we don't push you away. And God, I pray right now for every single person who, who doesn't have a relationship with God, that right now, that they would have this sense that you are closer than hands and feet. And that God, no matter what they've done up to this point, you love them with an intensity that's too hard to describe in words, but you love them so much that you'd be willing to lay down your life. You know what, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, but today you wanna make a decision to hand your life over to Him, I can tell you what will happen. You'll start fresh, you'll start new, all your sins will be forgiven and death, instead of going to eternal death, you will go to eternal life. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, but you know that this is right because you've had those questions. I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer to the questions you've been wondering about. And so if you've never given your life to Him, but today you say, I'm gonna do it. I know I need to make that decision right now. Just place your hand in the air and say, that's me. I'm handing it over to Jesus today. I'm gonna to give Him my life today. After you put your hand up, you can put it down again. But if you say, that's me, please include me. Whether you're watching online, whether you're watching at home right now, it doesn't matter where you are. I believe that God is in this room. I believe He's with you wherever you are as well. But if you need to give your life to Jesus today, just say, that's me, I'm gonna do it. We'll see you and we'll pray for you. Come on, let's pray together, church. I'm gonna say this prayer and then ask you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus, Come on, let's say it all together. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. And I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.